University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here, on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play-space design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and for this episode, I chatted with Professor Tony Oakley, the Director of Research at Early Start at the University of Wollongong. I think I would ensure that every child has access to quality early childhood education and care from the age of three. I think that, that, that there's a place for appropriate use of technology. I think building parental skills around how they might interact with their children, um, particularly now and how they might navigate that whole technology uh, challenge that exists in, in terms of, you know, access to devices and the appropriate amount of time and what's appropriate, you know, in terms of apps and, and other uh, programs that they can watch and interact with. And, and I do think that, um, uh, you know, ensuring that children have uh, opportunities to, to play um, uh, often in an outdoor environment is one way that we know that, that children will, will be more active than what they would be indoors. Uh, and, and then I do think that, that again, providing opportunities for, to, to incorporate some risk-taking into that, into that activity is, uh, is really important. Early Start is an institute at the University of Wollongong, that focuses on understanding and improving the lives and capabilities of young children. It's essentially bringing together research, uh, education and the community uh, under one umbrella with a particular focus on uh, children and those who uh, work with and care for them. Um, by children, we're defining those as sort of birth to 10 is our, is our focus age groups. And uh, what we seek to do here is we've got a particular focus on bringing the community into the university and taking the university out into the community uh, through research and education and um, uh, other community engagement type activities. Uh, we have a particular focus also on regional and remote children and those who grow up in uh, vulnerable or uh, challenging circumstances. So one of the unique features as well of Early Start is that it's uh, multidisciplinary. So an aim was to bring together different disciplines. So we're represented uh, with uh, researchers uh, who have expertise in, in child development, so particularly those from, uh, from our school of psychology. We have those with uh, expertise in, in pedagogy, curriculum, uh, play, uh, mostly represented in our school of education. And then we have those that are, um, have an interest and expertise in health, um, so within our School of Health and Society, particularly public health. We've also brought in, um, and we have uh, affiliations across the university, so there are, there are at varying times, there'll be uh, researchers who have an interest, particularly in, in something to do with early childhood development, health or learning. Um, they could be from a medical background. We've got some geographers, human geographers, who are working with us, some from engineering and technology as well. So it's, it's quite a mix. But particularly those three um, areas that I first mentioned would be the, the main strengths. One aspect of Early Start is the Early Start Discovery Space, an early childhood education centre that provides a learning environment for children and their families, while also providing a resource for researchers to understand how play-based learning affects childhood development. 
Yeah, so right from the beginning, we we recognised that the discovery space was something unique. You know, there was, to our knowledge, uh, no other children's museum or discovery space that was situated on a university campus anywhere in the world. Um, we, 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 we had seen, particularly in, the, in North America, good examples of where universities had relationships with children's museums and then they would come in and, and conduct, um, uh, use the space to conduct research activities to be able to educate the public about um, particular aspects that, that, that have a research uh, element to them. Um, so right from day one, we, we, we wanted to ensure that whatever we did from a research perspective, that um, research that uh, had uh, a place in the discovery space or research that had a particular um, play-based focus, um, that that would be strongly represented. So in, in our research plans, in, in the way that our, our, um, our what we call engagement frontiers which are, are multidisciplinary um, initiatives uh, constructed the that sort of play-based research research incorporating the discovery space is a central feature. So um, it's 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 a very key element of of, of the research we do in early start. Uh, so so our discovery space has around one hundred and fifty thousand visits a year. Uh, many of those are repeat visits. So uh, families that have memberships that that, that use the space. Um, it's quite a it's quite a large space, um, and uh, what we so so we needed to set something up right from the beginning that um, that allowed us to to utilise the unique features of of this space and particularly the way that the public come in and use the space and so this this idea that we've got the public coming in to where we're conducting research on a fairly regular basis so how, how might we think about um, incorporating that into our research plans, while at the same time acknowledging that these families are not coming in to participate in research, they're coming in for other reasons, and that the discovery space itself has has other outcomes and other goals of, of which, you know, supporting research or, or, or participating in research might only be, be, be one small part of that. So it was important for us to negotiate um, particularly with our colleagues who, who work and run the discovery space, what that might look like, how that might fit in with some of the plans and the activities and the, and the way that they were, that they would run um, both uh, organised or structured activities that might occur within the discovery space, but also that the, um, what it was that, that, that the discovery space was trying to um, promote. So it's very much about hands-on experiential learning. It's very much about uh, those who bring the children, the parents or carers, interacting with children through the experiences. So the, the terminology and the way that it's used was very important. So, uh, you know, we recognised very early on that um, it probably wasn't going to be appropriate to have people in lab coats, as you say, come up to people while they're there visiting a public space saying with a clipboard saying, do you want to come over here and, and do these assessments or participate in this research? Um, we have done that. Um, we've done that in particular on, on a small number of occasions um, where, we, where we've got an experience that we think, you know, we've, 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 uh, we've tried to uh, manipulate some of those things to see what type of a learning outcome might occur. So we have some particular, particularly uh, um, popular experiences, one's called the construction zone where the children can go in, put hard hats on and, and high-vis and 
um, you know, uh, play as you would at a construction site. So we wanted to have a look at, at, at some of the, the ways in which they play. Uh, we wanted to have a look at um, the ways in which particularly they might collaborate with other children, either children that they know or children that they've just met when they've been in the discovery space. Um, and so we can, you know, try and uh, set up a particular experience and then manipulate some of the the activities that might occur there to be able to see that happen almost in situ and then record that or observe that and and, and make notes as such but the the occurrences where we do that is 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 very is very limited we, we don't we don't do that a lot most of our research uh, within the discovery space will involve us observing um, children and families uh, obviously we need to have their consent before we observe them but uh, we we will typically get that when they enter the space uh, and then uh, if they're happy for us to observe them we will observe them we'll observe how they use the space we'll observe how they interact um, we're doing a study at the moment where we're looking at mobile phone use so because this is a public space um, we were quite interested to see whether uh, parental use of, of a mobile phone within the space, um, how that might affect or, or, or relate to the, the interactions that occur between the parent and the child. Uh, so that's one thing where we've been able to observe uh, some of those uh, occurrences. And not surprisingly, you know, if, if, if parents tend to have a more hands-off approach and, and watch their children and uh, and, and, and are more engaged with their, with their phone at varying times, uh, it's interesting to see what impact that has on the child. So, you know, if the child is trying to get the parent's attention and the parent sort of looks up but doesn't, you know, maintain a, a long period of eye contact or there's not a lot of verbal interaction, um, it's interesting to see the response from the child there. And, uh, and, and so we're, we're trying to have a, have a look at that at the moment. Um, we've also uh, looked at, um, uh, what experiences in particular the, the, the children gravitate to and spend the most time on it and how they actually use the experiences. And um, we've been particularly interested to get feedback from parents about that, about ways in which they, uh, those experiences can be improved. Um, also about uh, things that they find particularly helpful um, and, and useful and, and, and how children use the space. That's been quite fascinating, you know. So, Many parents have sort of uh, made comment about um, how the experiences that they would like to see the experiences change more frequently, um, because you know, for us as adults, we want to see things different. You know, we want to, uh, and we think that that's what our children want to see, but actually, that the children will often, you know, tell us, and and uh, we know also that this is consistent uh, with with what we know developmentally that the children actually like, you know. It, they like things to be fairly similar when they when they go each time, you know. So they'll actually go to the same experiences typically, um, and 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 you know, there's a particular order that they will often follow, and there's a particular pattern to how much time they'll spend on different experiences too. So they actually quite like uh, this idea that, that 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 there's not a lot of change. Tony specialises in understanding how physical activity can benefit children and what factors affect levels of activity in childhood. The benefits of activity in children extend far beyond just children's physical fitness. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why why parents often you know enrol their children in an organised sport or activity you know because of those those other things that they they see are important to their development. 
um, aspects to do with, with whether it be leadership, cooperation, communication, um, collaboration, um, those types of things, uh, as well as the physical benefits are, are, are also highly valued. You know, I would like to divide that into sort of two age groups. So, so prior to when they go to school, most of the activity they should participate in is in the form of play. And, and I would even argue that the, the play doesn't stop once they start primary school. You know, it, it should extend there well into, um, into, into, into the primary school years. So we're, we're talking about something here that's, um, uh, that, that should be uh, predominantly unstructured that should be child initiated, although the parent could certainly support that and the parent should be involved and, and, and interacting there as well. Um, there is perhaps a, a, a place for those more organised or structured activities, particularly as the children get gets older and they might start to play a team sport or an individual type activity. But, but most of it should be in the form of, of, of play and that's what we would say would be developmentally appropriate. Um, and most children's activity patterns are fairly sporadic. They're intermittent. You know, they'll they'll go 100 miles an hour, then they'll stop, and then they'll you know. So it's it's very different to how we would typically exercise or be active as as adults. Um, so we just need to make sure that we we carve out enough time or we provide enough opportunity in a child's day that they can experience that. And again, I think the discovery space and 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 similar spaces like that. Uh, do a good job at that because the children come in and they feel they have some agency with the space. There's some ownership there um, that they that that the parents will often say to us. They they don't feel that they have if they go down to their local park, for example, or to to another another space. So that so that's important there, and it it has a whole range of benefits. I think the most important ones for children are that it uh, it helps. Um, it, it, there's good connections. With, uh, with, 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 with all aspects of childhood development, in particular their, their cognitive development, so their ability to be able to learn and to be able to, to, um, uh, to remember um, uh, uh, things. And uh, so, so they're particularly related to, to their activity. And I think the, the social interactions that can occur through physical activity are really important as well, either with a parent or a carer um, or with other children. So both of those aspects are really important and there's good evidence that, that, that higher levels of activity are associated with that. And then you've got a range of other physical benefits in, in terms of their, um, in terms of their uh, um, adiposity or their, or their body composition. So they're, they're, there's less likelihood they'll be overweight or obese, which um, uh, given the high and increasing uh, rates of childhood obesity, that's, that's quite important. Um, uh, there, there's also aspects to do with their, with you know, building strong bones uh, and, and 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 muscles, which um, which which are related to to moving more. So it has a, a, a range of, of benefits, um, even from an early age, that I think are important. One of the biggest factors affecting kids' activity levels is the ubiquitousness of technology and time spent on devices, taking away from time spent doing physical activity. But it's not just the behaviour of children with their devices that can affect their well-being. More often than not, it's the behaviour of adults and the parents of children that set the tone for a child's learning and development. I think certainly the impact of technology can't be denied. So whereas, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't uh, handheld devices, uh, mobile phones, there weren't tablets, um, children still did spend time you know, from a young age, um, watching television and uh, and the like, but uh, I think this the how ubiquitous these devices and technologies are now. 
make it um, easier for children to have the opportunity to be sedentary and to engage with this technology. So in my mind, yes, there's, there's, there's more competing demands on their leisure time or not so much leisure time, but their active time. So whereas before it was, it was, you know, very easy for children to be able to spend time playing, um, particularly physical activity play, spend time outdoors, um, uh, even just, you know, be bored and try and think about what they might do and, and how they might use what they have around them in their environment to play a game or to be active. We, we, we all, what I'm seeing more of nowadays is that is, is this uh, uh, constant need to keep children busy, you know, for them, for them almost to, to be engaged with something all the time. And, uh, and certainly we know that children are, are spending more time on technology uh, and so I think I'd, I would just be mindful about what part that is playing in children's lives and how much time they are spending. We have we have guidelines from the government about how much time they should be spending. Um, and it's no more than an hour for children under the age of five, for children under the age of two. It's there's no safe limits there as well. So I do think that, you know, it's very easy to exceed those limits and it's very easy for, for parents to um, uh, to struggle to know how they might keep their children entertained or to, um, uh, um, again, it's very easy for, for, for adults to, um, uh, to, to, to spend time, you know, the, the, to, to, feel, to feel the need to be connected and to, you know, particularly in the, in the, in the presence of their children to, to not realise the impact that um, time spent on those devices can have on their children. So and we've done some work where we've looked at, uh, you know, just everyday interactions that parents would have with their children, whether it be um, going for a walk, whether it be, uh, um, you know, just playing with their child, whether it be a, as part of a bedtime routine. And, you know, a, a, about a third of parents would use handheld devices most or every day in those interactions. So most of the, the, the ways in which they interact with their child now so about a third of them would, would be, technology plays a part in that. So no matter what type of interaction they're having there. And um, obviously there's a difference between if you were sitting down with a child with, a, with an iPad and you were looking at photos together or you were searching up something on the internet or you were, um, uh, you know, um, video chatting with, with somebody that's quite different and I think there's an appropriate place for that because the, the interactions that occur verbally, the fact you're co-viewing, the fact the parent knows what the child is doing. So in my mind, that's quite different to just giving the child the device and, and letting them work it out themselves or letting them entertain themselves while the parent's keeping busy and trying to do something else. And, and again, I do think that we found in our research that again about you know, 30 to 35 percent of parents will turn to these devices when they're to, to calm their child down when they're upset or to keep the child busy when they're getting things done. So I, I do think we need to be mindful about that and, and mindful of the impact it's having on the children. So to come back to your original question, yes, there, there's good evidence now that, that that when parents do that, like I said before, and that we've, we've found this in, in the discovery space, that the parent uh, takes their their 
attention from the child and the child then interprets that as the parents not interested in what they're doing and, and the impact that that can have so we've found that when when parents are on those phones say in a restaurant um and there, there's far far fewer you know verbal utterances so in terms of children's language development in terms of um, the amount of words that are spoken you know it, it's very clear that that this can actually compromise that so parents need to be mindful of that they need to be mindful about the impact it's going to have on on communication and the impact it's going to have on the the you know just the the face-to-face -face and um and eye contact that that, that occurs and and, they, and both of those are really important for children before becoming a researcher Tony worked as a primary school teacher and specialised in physical education. The patterns he saw in how children's activity changes with age and motivation inspired him to pursue a career in research. Yes, so my undergraduate degree was in uh, health and physical education. And uh, when I finished that, I uh, taught for three years in a, in a primary school. And I was a, a, a physical education specialist in, in primary school. So I was teaching kindergarten through to grade six. And uh, what I think my, 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 my memories of, of that time, I did that for three years, was that uh, uh, you don't have to work hard to motivate children that age to be active. Um, it's something that comes, uh, well, it did back then, came fairly natural to children. If you could provide the, the environment, the support and, um, and, uh, and, and the opportunity, then... Um, you know, the, the, the children would respond very positive, positively to that. So I spent most of my time there um, working on developing children's um, what we call gross motor skills. So their ability to be able to, you know, be proficient in a whole range or a broad range of, of skills related to that are foundational to, um, to them having a physically active lifestyle. And, uh, and they're, they're really important at that, at that young age, because we know that, um, you know, if, if those skills are not developed, then then those children can encounter a sort of a, a proficiency barrier, which typically occurs towards the end of primary school, sort of early high school, where, yeah, as you would imagine, if you don't feel confident being able to perform or demonstrate a particular skill, then there's less likelihood you'll want to participate in sports or, or activities that, that, that use that skill quite frequently. So... Uh, I saw the importance of that, and if, if children felt competent and confident as movers, then that opened up a whole range of opportunities for them to be active. And, and then I also saw the the converse side, where if, if that wasn't if, if that wasn't the case. So, anyway, that that got me thinking about um, about um, what I could do to maybe do that from a research perspective. And uh, I was always interested in, in doing further study. Uh, an opportunity came up to to do a PhD and to work on what was back then the first state survey in New South Wales of children's physical activity and movement. This was back in 1997, the New South Wales Schools Fitness and Physical Activity Survey. So we went to schools around the state, uh, 90 schools, and we assessed uh, physical activity, we assessed um, fundamental movement skills in children, and I used that data for my um, for my dissertation and uh, and looked at the the role that those skills played um, doing some empirical research and that that sort of got me started on this what's been my sort of lifelong quest now to, to try and promote uh, healthy levels of physical activity among children Tony is now working to understand how places like early start discovery space can affect children's physical activity I asked Tony about his work 
and how place-based design can play a role in promoting physical activity. So we've been uh, particularly interested in in how we might be able to to, to nudge some children towards um, uh, being more active and, and promoting activity. That's not hard to do in the space because it's it's very well set up so that uh, children get the most out of the space um, by actually moving around it. So there's very little um, sitting down or, or being sedentary um, while they're in the space. So we've been particularly interested to see um, how much activity they they participate in while they're in the space. Uh, as I said before, how much time they spend, um, what they do at, at, in different um, different parts of the space, and and how they engage with different experiences. Um, and, and what we've actually found is 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 that they they are quite active within that space. Um, in a whole range of ways um, they would spend on average you know between two to two and a half hours each visit uh, in that space and most of that time is spent you know being 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 quite active um, uh, so but we've been particularly interested to, to try and see how we might be able to nudge children and parents um, towards more activity so are there are there particular things that we might be able to do and, and so being able to set up some little experiments within the discovery space to be able to um, uh, test that is, is something that we've, um, we've been looking at. So for example, where you might place equipment um, in relation to a, a, a particular environment, um, how you might, you know, if, 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 you, if you draw particular things on a floor or on a wall, does that actually promote more activity? And and we're, what we're trying to do here is mimic what what this might what things could be done within a home environment, for example, to try and prompt uh, a, a little bit more activity there. The one I mentioned before about the the phones has been important. So again, looking at um, what impact that has on on the amount of time that that parents and children might spend sitting, and um, and uh, and the relationships there. So they've probably been the, the the main areas that we've um, we've looked at. We've also used it as a as a sort of lab space to to, to test some um, assessments that we've had, uh, looking at um, uh, how we might measure different different aspects of, of motor development um, and of uh, of um, physical self regulation as well. Again, it's the behaviour of parents and the adults around them that sets the tone for children's activity. Ask Tony how this is incorporated into the Early Start Discovery space to help enhance the experience for both kids and their parents. Yeah, and that's something that we've worked really hard on in the discovery space. Yeah, the, the experiences work best when you've got the child uh, taking the initiative and um, um, leading the interaction with that experience and leading how they might, you know, for example, if they're building something at the construction zone or if they're um, selecting what food goes in their trolley at the marketplace. Um, and, uh, you know, so so we would encourage um, parents to let the child take the lead, but to be there to interact, you know, to think about the questions that you might ask, you know, why did you choose that over that? Um, why did you, you know, there, there, were, there, there were 10 apples left why did you why did you pick all ten of those and not leave any there? Um, so it's those sort of interactions that I think are, are really rich and and that's where if the parent is not sitting back and as you say having a cuppa, but they're actually there they're watching the child they're um they're they're seeing what they're doing they're thinking about how they might be able to respond to either questions that the child asks 
or to be able to initiate some of those questions. And 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 that and, and that that is hard work, you know. So to to be able to do that, but the benefits that you get from that in terms of the richness of that, the the strengthening of those relationships with that child is um is really important. We we again try to um we've tried to have um have interactive um have have ways that so like I mentioned before with the construction zone or the marketplace, which are two of our most popular experiences, we'll try to have interactive um. Uh, uh, tips for parents there, um, you know, on, on iPads or things like that, where we might say, you know, here's something here, you know, if you want to try and here's some things you might think about as your child's using this experience here. Um, but yes, we, and I've done, you know, I've done this myself as parents too, you know, you sort of, you, 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 you try to, um, uh, you, you know, you try and think, well, I'll, I'll try and do the best thing here and I'll try and guide my child's play and, 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 and do what I think they, they should be doing. And um, there, there might be a place for that, um, but but I think the the best experiences are when the and particularly in a space like the discovery space because it's a it's a safe place for that child, um, you know. Then I think it's a great opportunity to let the child take the lead with that. I asked Tony about the inherent risks involved with play and physical activity. I wanted to know what appropriate risk taking looks like and how these experiences can actually benefit children as important learning opportunities. You've probably heard, and, and, and we do talk a lot about, uh, you know, what we call cotton-wooling children and, and the children nowadays that, that, that are, we, are we raising a, a generation of children who, um, who are afraid to take risks or are not engaging in, in risk-taking play, um, those types of things. Uh, again, coming back to this, this idea of us needing to keep children busy and, and entertain and, and then coupling that with fear of litigation, which... Um, uh, you know, might result in, in in what type of equipment is is now found in playgrounds um, of what children are able are allowed to do when they're at school or at, or at preschool. Um, I, I think we've 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 we're, we're slowly coming out the other side of that, in my opinion. So I think we we, we did have a, a period of time, probably five to ten years ago, where I think there was a real fear around that, and that that did result in us. Um, making our environments almost so sterile that it became almost impossible for a child to get hurt. Um, and by that, I mean get hurt through taking a risk, you know, so we were afraid of the child slipping over or of, um, you know, of, 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 of what sort of surfaces we had there, of not allowing them to climb trees or those types of things. And um, I, I do think that we just need to be very careful with that because um, that sort of risk-taking aspect and obviously we need to make sure that this is appropriate risk taking you know but but clearly i think that there is a, a very important place and most parents and groups would agree here for appropriate risk taking because of, of the benefits that you see for children in terms of them their, it, it, it building their their self-esteem their confidence um even just uh you know how they might solve problems you know so i've got this 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 creek here which um, I've got to try and get across you know how am I going to get there there's something stuck in a tree how am I going to get it down and uh, I've been very very impressed with what I see in Scandinavian countries so I visited a, um, a preschool I can remember in Norway a couple of years ago and it was a beautiful big um, had a beautiful big outdoor area um, that sort of backed onto a forest and that and uh, the children would go outside in any weather um, they, they, they said to me that, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So they'd put their raincoats and their boots on. So again, I think that's something that, um, that you know, that we need to be mindful of 
that, that we don't say, you know, just because the weather looks like this or that, that that's a reason to not allow our children to play. There's a risk there. But once they were outside, they were actually encouraged to climb trees. They were encouraged to, um, you know, partake in, um, in, in quite risky, um, what we would consider to be quite risk-taking behaviour, all under the supervision of, of, of qualified educators. But, the, you know, there was something within the educators' uh, training in that as well, which taught them about how they can support that. And um, so they saw that as, as a critical part of a child's development. And, uh, and I would agree with that. And I think we need to ensure that we're, we're providing opportunities for children to be able to do that. To find out more, visit earlystartdiscoveryspace.edu.au. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan Country and has been brought to you by the University of New England. To find out more about the Boiler House Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boiler House. <laughs>